Cradleine Network. My name is Connor, alongside my friend Fox, and this is the 221st episode of Space Spinner 2000, the podcast. Two Americans try to make sense of the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD. One month at a time. This Prague we're covering 2000 AD for May and June 1990, Prague 680, 680 to 683. This time we got a tale of two episodes as we start by clearing the decks of Armored Gideon, Shadows, Universal Soldier, and Kronos Carnival. Then we'll bring in Harlem Heroes, Rogue Trooper, and Medivac 318. Some of those things are good. Yeah, listen, ups and downs. Can't stress it enough. If you want to read along with us, you'll find the comics we're covering today in Judge Dredd, The Complete Case Files 14, Indigo Prime Killing Time, The Strontium Dog, The Final Solution, The War Machine, and 2000 AD Extreme Edition 23. The 20s this episode. Little bit, I guess. Like, you know, we're in the, like, next episode's 222, man. It's going to be real exciting. Yeah. Just to get you. Into your numerological episodes, Fox. I mean, listen, we're we're leaving fucking uh, Armored Gideon for a little while. It's a whole thing, yeah. And speaking of mysterious magics, mysterious and deadly magics, Fox. Ooh. Let's go to thrill one, Judge Dredd. Oh boy, the plot thickens, my man. Absolutely. Script about John Wagner, art about Carlos Escarra, learning about Tom Frame. Like coagulated blood. Mm. Whoa. So last time we left Kraken, the uh, clone brother of Judge Dredd, pretending to be the man himself, uh, we saw him turn side Judge uh, Kit Aggie over to the hissing sisters of uh, the, uh, you know, the Lady Dark Judges, uh, uh, Nausea and Psychosis. Um, now, uh, side Chief Schenker is asking uh, Dredd, quote unquote, where she is, and he doesn't know or remember. Ah, uh, likely story. Yeah, literally, this goes against the knowledge and sci flashes that uh, Sci Judge Cassandra Anderson has had, though she's eventually forced to admit that she could be wrong. I mean, to, how, she's got, how often is she incorrect on things? I mean, yeah, you, oh, oh. yeah, you'd think they just sort of go go along with what she says because she seems to be right and has a lot of basis for understanding this shit. But nah. <laughs> Just going to, again, we're just going full um, Amityville City Council when it comes to um, <laughs> these claims of the Dark Judges. You know, we got to open for Memorial Day, Fox. Come on. Listen, we, we've got to have these beaches open in Albany. All right. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So um, Schenker then puts out an APB on Aggie and we cut to the apartment in the Dunk Ronaldo block where the Sisters of Death prepare for their plan. Meanwhile... We see uh, Kraken as Dread beating up a small crowd and wondering if he should report all these weird <laughs> things he's been experiencing lately. But it's definitely too late now. It'll be like, why didn't you say this sooner and all that stuff? I love how that he can still have these complicated dialogues within himself while just mindlessly beating the hell out of perfs. It's the best time to have a dialogue, honestly. <laughs> you know, you're, relax. you're not too busy, you know? Yeah. Dread arrests this whole group and is summoned to the Palais de Boeing. They've lost their trademark, it seems. Uh, some bystanders comment on Dread's youth, and that makes him remember Aggie saying the same thing when they met up. Hmm. 
Um, he thinks his mind is playing tricks on him. He goes to pop some red pills this time. He's been <laughs> doing these drugs left and right. <laughs> he's going to get real, real conservative in a moment. Yeah, but in his equipment belt, he finds the badge of a side judge. <sighs> At the same time, it's central. A tech reveals that a- a- Aggie got a call from Dread in the morning and... Dredd's radio silent when Aggie went missing. Anderson says Dredd's a liar, and as he does, as she does, Dredd checks the badge. It's Aggie's. It says it on the back. Oh my god, it's totally that. And man, they have like a little pin thing on the back to pin it onto you. It's very thoughtful. Yeah, it's got the chain loop and the pin. I feel like uh, you know a little bit of the. I saw a little bit behind the curtain of how these judge uniforms work when I saw this. And I don't know if I liked it or not. That's just sort of just a plain old pin and not like some kind of magna lock or something like that. <laughs> Seems really easy to remove. Yeah. Uh, so Kraken can't believe it, but finally does the right thing. He turns himself in and says he is involved with the situation. He arrives at side Div and Anderson punches him right in the face. Hell and yeah. Immediately realizes that he's not Dread. He's someone else. That that face is so far from leathery and stony. Plus, you know, I'm sure he's just got a different kind of energy and aura about him, whatever Anderson does with size stuff, you know. <laughs> She's just, just constantly invading those around her without thought. She can't help it, you know. Exactly. Uh, Schenker explains what happens and Kraken spills the beans. His mind tells him to fully commit to telling the truth, but he definitely doesn't. Um, <laughs> Kraken says he doesn't remember what happened during that time, doesn't mention any of his recent dreams about the Sisters of Death or, of course, his rampant pill use. Mm-hmm. turns over his lawgiver and it's very emotional for a moment but then my buddy Cass just calls him right away like you betrayed <laughs> Canadian to the sisters of death you know more than you're saying you asshole yeah <laughs> F you I am going to dive right into your brain parts I'm not gonna feel bad for your murderous <laughs> drug abuse get out of here <laughs> Silver mobilizes the heavy unit and don't forget the Boeing. We might as well take it just in case. We see Judge Tanks rolling out of the Central Combat Depot headed to Weber Street. And on Weber, Anderson removes her gloves and minds melds with Kraken through his chin because that's where his brain is kept. (laughs) (laughs) Anderson. Oh, yeah. Anderson starts to zero in on the location of the sisters. The sisters can feel them coming and listen. If they want blood, they should be ready to give their own. I mean, it's a lot of frickin' judges. Yeah. Some citizens are playing dice in an alley, and Judge Leroy comes up and says, I thought I told you. <laughs> I would have. Yeah, what up? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, they see the judge force rolling in. They're like, all that for us? Meanwhile, Feels a little uh, overkill. Yeah, definitely. But less overkill when a pair of dark figures rise from the city bottoms and then loom over the skyscrapers. It's the Sisters of Death. Man, who doesn't love a good, like, ghostly looming? Definitely. They shout, greetings, those about to die. We salute you. Oh, explosions ensue. Yeah, this seems to go out over the radios of the H-wagons and tanks and everything starts exploding. Um, the judges try to fight back, but like the consoles of their ships go up in black flames. We see giant clawed hands rip through hulls. Um, God the, damn. You know, just all these, all the signs of life are being purged. But none of this seems to actually be happening. Anderson it's tries to tell the judges. 
Yeah, it's an illusion. Kick punch, but no one will listen. <laughs> one of the sisters calls Kraken a traitor, and he tries to resist. We see just H-Wagons crashing all over the city, through tube lines, into buildings. Yeah. Anderson can't do anything about it, even though she knows that like, you know, the things people are reacting to aren't there. She desperately reaches out with her mind to find Aggie as the sisters and an image of Morton Judd try to bring the Judge clone of Kraken back to their side. Yeah, he's really not having a great time this point. No, pushed and pulled. The judges are firing at the sky as tanks are engulfed in flames and the sisters (laughs) of death loom over them laughing. Inside one of the tanks, the commander sees his fellows turned into skeleton dudes, and he just starts shooting them, even though it's all an illusion, pretty clearly. Someone really just needs to watch a little bit more, like, old-school metal uh, music videos. Yeah, it's cool when you're in a tank full of skull guys. Come yeah, on. That's, that's exactly when you know it's like, oh, shit, some rad music's about to be playing. Yeah. Anderson still reaches <laughs> out to Aggie, who seems to respond until one of the sisters clamps down on her. She gets the info, though, and learns they're in Dunk Ronaldo. But before she can tell anyone, Kraken punches a square in the chin. The sisters and judge order Kraken to kill her. He tries to resist. and But in the name of Judd, grabs her neck. When suddenly He's a fucking sh- succumbed to bullshit. It's bad. When suddenly a shell lands near them and they're scattered. Anderson lies there seemingly dead. And Kraken gets back on his bike. On his bike, because he has another task to perform. Make speed. Next time on Judge Dread, Riders on the Storm. Riders on the Storm. Man, real good. Fucking really good. Also, like, got a lot of lot of face punches in this, man. Def, good amount of face punching. This one really reminds me also of those early stages of the Apocalypse War as well. Just of oh, these yeah. tanks rolling out, the bad guys seeming insurmountable and things like that. It's really great. Um, I mean, a shitload of judges just died, basically, you know? Yeah, just, you know, these moments where the Justice Department's completely outclassed by a new villain is always a really interesting time. And I'm... So remain just so stoked to see where we're going with Judge Dredd. Um, next episode, we're gonna get some more, ca- uh, some 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 new characters in that I think you're gonna be very excited about. It, Fox. Mm, I'm excited. I'm fucking mainlining Dredd right now, man. I wish it was kind of like midway through the comic, so I didn't just get all my excitement out at the beginning. It is interesting seeing it at the front. This whole uh, this whole series. I mean, that's sort of where it's gonna be long term, of course. But yeah. We are. It, I am like you. I'm used to it being kind of the climax in the middle of the of the prog, as opposed to yeah. right at the start. It means that also sometimes if you're less enthused by things, it means that you can just sort of read dread and then be done with the with the prog sometimes, which is <laughs> probably not the best, you know. Exactly. Lure him in with dread. Have him stay for I don't know. Indigo Prime? Ooh. Well, listen, there's ups and downs. Speaking of something (laughs) that I think might be a little bit more of an up than otherwise, let's talk about Thrill 2 Armored Gideon. Oh, I'm a weird fish man. It's the time. Script about John Tomlinson, art about Simon Jacob, letting about Steve Potter. Photojournalist Frank Weitz is flying through the transdimensional space known as the Edge on the back of a flying wind whale called a Nomo towards robot Annihilator, uh, Armored Gideon. Pretty fucking sick. We are trying to get in close. We are trying to switch off this robot. Yeah. 
But Gideon fights back, downing several whales. What can they do? Why not just turn him off? Asks the <laughs> whale. <laughs> whose name is Aralu and can talk, apparently. Uh, I mean, hey, why not, right? Yeah, it only seems folks not from the edge can do it, but it's this just as big five-pointed star on Gideon's back. It's, uh, it is a really obvious off switch. <laughs> I do really like how we see this whale talking to Frank and he calls him Franquitz. Yeah. Like he just sort of puts his name into one big word. It's pretty solid. Franquitz. 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 He's French. Um, oh, beautiful. But he says that they're willing to take a hit for the team to turn off Gideon, which is good because <laughs> Gideon's coming right at him. Uh, I mean, they seem to have been taking the hit from Gideon for a long time. So what's like one or two more, right? It's true. Yeah. Frank swings his flashbulb rope thing and lasts it around Gideon's head. The bulb's going off and dazzling him. Un Anaila! Uh, they go in fast. Frank jumps and and lands on the offs, which he's won. But they got he's blasted doing a in the... super ninja land right there too. He's going full Naruto. Yeah, but then he gets a heat blast in the back. Oh, geez, because Gideon is not quite down. He almost kills Frank, but then shuts. But then turns off because seems to take a moment between the uh, between the switch getting flipped and Gideon actually being turned. You know, powered off. Would have been really nice to know that beforehand, Arlo. Mmm, you know, who's to say? Of course, it's still pretty dangerous here, so Frank snaps a picture of Gideon, then gets hit by a blast and warped back to Earth, landing in a local dump. Oh, just really great. Love it. Love that dump. Frank's newspaper <laughs> e editor, Benson, listens to Frank's uh, tape that he had uh, that he had Ilona send to her um, at the end of last episode and prepares a slide projector. Her office is full of cactuses, but no pictures of Spider-Man. Um, um, that's, I think, the, the death knell of this poor man. <laughs> Frank narrates the background of Armored Gideon, how he should be, um, and that now he should have been defeated. And that's good for Frank, but bad for everybody else, because it means that now there's nothing to stop the monsters of the edge from invading Earth. And even worse for Frank, because these aren't pictures of goddamn Spider-Man. No, we only want one specific set of weird pictures here. He also explains about Jeroball as we see Alona maybe doing something with Jeroball's body. It's not clear. Um... He tries to be ominous and promises more pictures to come, but Benson just tosses them all in the bin. Rich. Round files them, because she's here to print news, not weirdness. Oh, my God. In Thanks, a dump, Benson. Yeah. Listen, you know, lack of imagination. In a dump somewhere, Frank lies in a pool of shadow wa shallow water. It seems like he's got part of his head is burned. It seems like it's kind of lumpy. Ugh. We zoom in on the lens of his camera, and the story ends. To be continued! <gasps> but not for a while. Oh, really? That's um, uh, going to be my follow-up there. <laughs> yeah, we've recently seen some Armored Gideon, a, a, a bonus Armored Gideon story in the uh, in the sci-fi special this year. Mm -hmm. uh, and we'll get a peek of him in 1991, but he won't be back annihilating full-time until 1993. So a, a ways to go. All right. That sucks. Yeah. It was pretty yeah. bad. I, no, I, I like it. Yeah, it's fun stuff. You know, just this big robot jumping around, Frank having to deal with it and stuff. Well, and just comedy. Like, nice, poppy comedy. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, this is very light. Just, like, some fun, like, uh, I, you know, this and the Big Spartan story we saw. I love this uh, small-town mm. England Satanism. You know, that's... <laughs> 
that homegrown like, bespoke Satanism, you know? Yeah, yeah, I'm in favor of it, you know, like whatever, kind of have a have a local pub, sacrifice some virgins at it, things like that, you know. Hey, maybe get a giant robot to show up and do some blood blood stuff. Yeah. I'm down for that. It's better than mm. some other things. It's it's better than crystal stuff, I guess. Oh and God! <laughs> speaking of crystal stuff, Fox. Oh, Jesus Christ! <laughs> Thrill three, Universal Soldier. It all came down to the power of Kabbalah. Doesn't it always, Fox? <laughs> Script robot Alan McKenzie, art robot Simon Colby, lettering robot Gordon Robson, and Bambos George, who periodically mm. as Kid Bambos in the middle of it. Um. So the Universal Soldier Fox, his buddies, the narrator and Big John as well, are prepping the town of Gog or possibly Mugog, I don't know, for nah. an invasion by raiders. It's very basic, very uh, uh, Seven Samurai or uh, A Bug's Life, depending on your personal proclivities. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> They're setting up stakes and deploying archers as the um, – and actually the longbows that they've got work really well and route a bunch of riding lizards and attackers and stuff. Seems to be, like, going not horrible. Good thing yeah. we gave all these people the drills. Definitely, yeah. They managed to blunt the raider's initial attack and are preparing for the next charge. The narrator wonders why this isn't triggering the Unisol's flashback chip. And uh, he thinks he's either starting to learn to control things or he's given up ever leaving the prison planet of Heartbreak Rock. I don't know if that's how the chip works, but sure. Yeah. On the other side of the battlefield, that flat hat dude with a duster damns the Universal Soldier and orders Ugh, the town. He's a dang old god. I just wanted this town, you, you dink. Yeah. And he orders the town wiped off the face of the planet. Meanwhile, the Unisol preps to repair an infantry charge, his troops putting down big shields and laying up big pikes. Time to do a sweet old phalanx. Yeah. The fight begins and the Wolf Clan is routed. The iron discipline and tactics the Universal Soldier implemented make quick work of a bunch of big tough brawlers. Um, but oh man, there's yeah. these really ripped dino butts. Yeah, his historic his historical generabilities are great, but can't handle a surprise flanking attack by that traitor Meshack and his badass armored riding lizards. Um, <laughs> so also, cool. Yeah, all seemed lost until blonde Viking dude Saul remembers pike training and spears Meshach off of his armored lizard, God sending damn. the villagers into a kill frenzy. <laughs> a good old-fashioned kill frenzy, you know? Yeah, as you do. The Universal Soldier regroups his forces, and soon the enemy is completely defeated to the horror of the news crew flying <laughs> overhead. War is hell, man. Yeah. But, uh, the, so the battle's been won, but it's the standard thing of victory being hollow because war is hell. You know what I'm talking about. The new ship zeroes in on the Universal Soldier. He's walking straight toward Flat Hat. And I guess this is where we kind of talk about that he's actually yeah. the CEO from the company. But that's, I mean, they don't really explain, like, has he no. been out? He, like, why is his hair so long, I guess, is my yeah, big question. I mean, I didn't even at any point put together that that was him. Like, it's not it's not as linked as I'd like it to be. But anyway, crystal fight. <laughs> all right. uh, the CEO thinks he's all tough. He's got 200 hours of combat crystal training, so it feels yeah, pretty badass. That buddy, does not sound cool the way he thinks it sounds. The universal soldier can draw on both the f history and future of humanity for fighting ability. And so he uh. manages to draw some sweet crystal fighting moves. 
which I guess is turning into a giant burn man. Yeah, yeah, computer. Grow, grows to giant size, green skin, eyes of fire. He just kind of picks up the CEO with two fingers and eats him, then mm-hmm. passes out. <laughs> well, you know, big lunch. Yeah. The uh, the news team does a report and then loads him aboard their ship and leaves. The narrator we see has been saying all this stuff with a spear through his gut, sort of holding the remains of the crystal that the Universal Soldier used in his hands. That's how he can see all these things. Yeah. Um, he wished he could have seen how the story goes and look at the impaled corpse of Big John. That guy's dead, too. Um Oof. But anyway, uh, we cut to the palatial space apartment and the Universal Soldier looks out on the universe um, you know, just sort of remembering what happened back in Heartbreak Rock, then returns to bed with his wife. And uh, right before we uh, get to see the the Universal Soldier uses combat training in the bedroom, everything yeah. goes dark. Historical and, Wang uh, skills. <laughs> <laughs> the end of Universal Soldier. We never got to learn his name. He died nameless. No, no, his name is Max Brewster. I think we learned that at some point. Oh, okay. I didn't. <laughs> Listen, that's fair. Anyway, Universal Soldier will return in fall of 1991. Oh my god, really? They have yeah. more to say? I guess. <laughs> oh, what, I what say, resignation. I want to say one thing that really hit me about part of Universal Soldier, Fox. What's and that? And it's uh, when this guy Saul kills uh, Meshach and stuff. Mm-hmm. The narrator says, "Oh, this like you know, skinny little runt Saul, the son of the boss, the, the son of the chief that no one ever counted, <laughs> and all this stuff. Be it that or the defense of the town, um, is really undone by the fact that Simon Colby draw- draws every man as super buff and cut to shreds. You know." Yeah, no, there was no way. I was like, all right, he's wimpy, and I mean, he can... He's huge. He picks like up he, a giant stick sharply to a point. Yeah, as a nerd, he's clearly also just, like, spending his time reading books while doing bench presses and stuff like or, that. Or, like, know? all of the books are just actually just weighted to massive proportion. <laughs> yeah, and so it's sort of taken some of the oomph out of, like, um, like the... Te- like. Um, the Universal Soldier sort of like whipping these folks into shape. I mean, not that that was actually a big focus of the story, but like I mean, you know, Mulan did it with a song, so that, you know, Universal Soldier can do it with a, a history. I'm just saying that 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 part of these montages is usually that yes, we're going to drill and learn techniques, and that will let our inferior physicality <laughs> let us overcome <laughs> these tougher dudes, but. Like it seems like in the end there isn't really much of a content a contest because you've got these <laughs> super strong dudes who now have tactics. It's like yeah, this seems like a pretty strong force for the record. It's uh, it's kind of like the uh, the 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 grayscale kind of feel to it, right? It's very the, everyone's got He Man physiques. Yeah, no, I mean we talked about this when we first saw the CEO as well. Where he just kind of sits up yeah, and it's like, like Jesus, what, <laughs> what have you been doing? Okay, I'm like I'm like Vince McMahon here. I'm like whoa. You know, like, look at the body. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> now that's somebody I can get to sell some seats. Exactly. But anyway, whatever. That's all I'm trying to say. Like, 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 even, oh, sorry. What, one, even the reporters were super buff, is what I'm I trying know. to say. <laughs> they were super ripped. And in like, cut ass jaw. Listen, the I don't want to, I don't want to body shame a bunch of ripped ass dudes, Fox, because I'm sure they'd come to reality and kick my ass. But it does sort <laughs> of. <laughs> 
like, you know, it is sort of a thing that is unusual for 2000 AD, I think, which often has more realistic body types. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Sometimes. And, and speaking of my SJW Crusade Fox. Oh, my. <laughs> Thrill 4, Kronos Carnival. Oh, my God. I, I, I do not know what to make of any of this. It's a lot, you know. Uh, Scripted yeah. by Hillary Robinson, art by Ron Smith, lettering by Bambo Georgiou. I'm Tempo- really, I, it's, it's, yeah. I'll, I'm. Let's get. No, to no, it. no, no, no. I, 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 wait. What? Let me l- l- lay it on me, buddy. Uh, it's the dragons and their feet and the fucking <laughs> wheelchair shit and like the just, just everything that goes on and vomiting fire. It's like, what's going on with this? Totally. Yeah. Well, it's like what's going on. Temporal agents Neil and Jenny have crossed a dimensional boundary <laughs> with an alien dragon named Laurentian to prevent a dimensional incursion by the warlike Sidandi. With Ugh. Neil immobilized and Jenny pinned down by Sidandi crossfire, things don't look good. This is a st- all of those were words you said that have meaning. That's just the opening crawl of the comic, but I felt like it was really appropriate. Just this, <sighs> like, again, just this old school kind of feel. Like, yeah. it's got a very, like, serial feel. So it's got to open with that announcer, like, previously on Kronos Carnival. You know, that kind of stuff. <laughs> it was perfect. Um, Laurentian gets one of the younger dragons to fly out on these weird little wings that they've got and drag and drag Jenny to safety, shooting as she goes. The dragon gets hit and things aren't looking great when suddenly more dragons, <sighs> led by Neil, riding Laurentian, fly overhead, spitting big gouts of flame. Which is real rude, apparently, in dragon civilization. Yeah, apparently fire breathing is a big cultural taboo among these dragons. It's kind of like shooting your goo all over the enemy. Oh, gross. But it seems like it's also incredibly effective. So I guess that's war for you, buddy. I've heard that it's hell. But now we got to figure out, well, how did this dang guy get on top of a dragon? Yeah, they only did this attack, I guess, because Neil let it. And it seems that's all it took to defeat these Sidandi jerks. It's also all it took for them to... Uh, renege on their massive cultural taboo, I guess. I mean, if it wins, like, I don't... Listen, <laughs> there's a lot of cultural taboos I'd I'd break to not be enslaved, Fox. I gotta I mean, say. The thing was, it's like, hey, I like, we gotta use your fire breath. Fine, but you gotta you gotta be out there with us. You gotta watch us, too. <laughs> I, would, I would put my elbows on the table. I would not hold the door open. I but would not... I wouldn't carry a pocket square if it meant that I wouldn't be enslaved. <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't match my tie with my socks. I'd do all these. I'd break all these. I'd wear white after Labor Day in a heartbeat <laughs> to not be a slave, Fox. All right. My thank you letters would be terse and, oh, and impolite. Wow. Oh my God! Don't even send a, a birthday card. You know? I would title them "To Whom It May Concern," <laughs> and then end it. End it. Um, um. Um. I hope this letter finds you well, Conrad. Instead of us sincerely or something like that. Oh my God! I would I, never RSVP again if it meant that I was was not enslaved, Fox. All of my text messages would be obscenely long. We're talking one long run-on sentence, so it's very difficult to parse. Exactly. I'd keep this joke going if it meant that I didn't have to go be to be enslaved. Um, Yet here we are, back in the trenches. Well, listen, 
I mean, that's for real slavery, not to be free of the sweet, sweet slavery of Space Spinner 2000, Fox. Hurt hurt me, Daddy. <laughs> Jenny and Neil prepare to head home as the other dragons prepare to take the fight to the Sedandi. We could have been breathing fire this whole time? Uh, what? Life seemed pretty confident with a mix of fatalism. Hey, if it don't work, then we'll just be dead. So what's the worst that could happen? Oh, so, just so much of this. Neil dismounts from Laurentian and the art gets real weird as he does so he gets real squished or something like that yeah. um, Neil returns to his chair and when Laurentian asks if he'd like to fly he just says yes in a small voice then just fucking pedals to the metal and out of the uh, out to the triangle back to Earth. Like, yeah I did <laughs> um oh. Anyway, Jenny explains that Neo was a stunt pilot until an accident could find him to All a wheelchair. Right. They'd say he'd never fly again. He has trouble saying thank you. You know, he's a dude. Um, Jenny returns home, and it seems that the captured Sedandi is still caged, but now looks like the clown owner of the cage, and he's now basically a new exhibit at the carnival. And it's apparently perfectly fine to keep it around, and then also out of the cage? Well, no, it's in the cage. Well. It, they did, And they talk about basically that... It can change shape but not size, so it's pretty well stuck in there. Like it could turn into a mm. into a bug and fly. It could turn into a bug to try to fly away, but it'd be a gigantic bug. Right. Um. Anyway, you know that kind of stuff. Suddenly, Laurentian appears. He's come along with them. At the last minute, screw his reality. Wow. He's going to stay here to be a new ride at the carnival. The God. end. Why is that's not how? <laughs> But his friends helped liberate his people, and so now he's helping them by just sort of, you know, going to a new world and being a cool dude. Well, being an attraction. Let's be clear. Yeah, they like him for his physical abilities and stuff. I don't know. That's fair. As long as you don't tell me to shoot my goo, I'm fine. <laughs> I mean, not during oh. the podcast. Oh, you're so lovely. Anyway, Kronos Chronicle, Kronos Carnival will return in September of this year. Cool. I mean, I, I definitely, it's it's really dense. There's a lot going on here. I, I like it, I guess, is the best thing I could say. I mean, I'll say again, we talked about this previously, but man, this really, maybe it's just Ron Smith's art or something mm -hmm. like that. But this really feels like a late 70s, early 80s comic that's oh. been unearthed yeah. and tossed in here it feels really different like in a way like i mean i feel like hillary robinson stuff often feels different than the rest of the prog mm. but this feels different in a way that feels like it would have been it, it, it would have been in the right place a long time ago but now it feels like it's a throwback or something like it that really it i mean it's out of time for sure i i don't it's just, you know, that a, a triangle portal in a hall of mirrors or whatever opens up or the no, they're weird space carnival shit. Yeah. Uh, they're dragons that are just like Chinese dragons with really big hands. I don't know. Yeah. This is There's still a lot to unpack. Definitely a lot to unpack, for sure. But I do really like um I do really like Lon, like Ron Smith's artwork as always. Oh, yeah. Um I appreciate like, you know, Hillary Robinson taking the time to actually have these characters again. They have like a real relate, like a relationship that feels real to me. Yeah, I guess. yeah, big time. Like the, uh, like the, the, their sort of bickering and comments and stuff feels much better. Like feels more, feels realer to me than what Fleischer's doing between Slice and Silver in Harlem oh, Heroes, for instance. Oh yeah, no, that's all forced. But this one feels like there's there like the banter is historical as opposed right. to and incidental. 
Yeah, and it's kind of between two characters that like care about each other or something mm-hmm. else like that. I don't know. Yeah. Worth thinking about, I guess. Um, but yeah, good times. Speaking of less good time, Fox, let's oh. cool out with some non-thrills, covers, and nerve setters. Got some, we got some pretty pictures at the front of these this week. Yeah, definitely. Prog 680, a roller coaster. Where is his, oh, wait, out loud. Of time, say what? Beautiful. What's wrong with his face? Looks like a neck, neck face. Ron Smith getting real weird as he draws his Kronos Carnival folks for a ride on the wild side. (laughs) She has secondary song reference. Hey, dragon, take a walk on the wild side. Shoot your flames all over the night. Shoot them as though that man's your wife. Because, hey, girl. Okay, in the Nerve Center, Sarg mentions the 1990s specials, which we've already talked about. There's a picture of SJS Judge Humphrey Bogart in letters compliment classic rogue that's appearing in 2000 AD monthly. Request Ooh. that there be a store, to, like request location of a store selling Horn God 2 in Peterborough. Um, okay. And ask... What war, um, and ask that war machine be collected into a graphic novel post haste. I love these pre and internet days where if you needed to find a graphic novel, you just have to like write a letter to the editor of the comic about it. Like, so do you know anyone? Yeah, it's ridiculous. Um, the prog ends with some ads for a dread and zenith collection. Um, and I like. I like this ad because it's got my granddad's favorite line, which is that it's better than a poke in the eye with a sharp stick. <laughs> There's also a lady with a 2080 logo fan and an advert comics mart in Very Westminster. Cool. And the back covers a full color ad for Deadline with Tank Girl getting some kind of back-to-back suplex or something yeah. else. It's summer. Their big summer issue. Fuck yeah. Yeah. Prog 681, pretty iconic one here as we, we see Winwood literally stitching time together in shades of pinks and purple by Chris Weston, friend of the show. Indigo Prime cover. The half-size nerve center this month has an ad for a revolver on the top of the page. Then Tharg announcing that he's clearing the deck for some new stories in 683. There's one letter from a guy named Mart that's unhappy about all these comic Marts. And listen, man, Mart's not an acceptable name to feel like you got a weird name. You got to live with that. All right. Uh, I don't know about that one. <laughs> My name is Conrad. You know, I got to deal with I, I, like it comes up every now and then. You just kind of got to roll. His name is Mart Gooch. I'm not. There's a lot that I want to say. I'm not. Yowza. Um, there's also a full page ad for the army. Fancy a short at an interesting job. Join oh. the professionals. Oh, God, <laughs> come on, guys. The prog ends the star scan for shadows by Richard Elson, Nina and yeah. Hood, standing in front of a bunch of other shadows at the entrance to the Deadland. Lots Looks of reds and awesome. yellows here. Very angry fog, and their clothes of this refracting quality, like an oil slick. It's cool. So, you said you liked it too, Fox? Yes, I said I it's fucking want- rad. <laughs> yeah, it's good stuff. I'm sorry. I, I feel like I'm, I'm stepping over you too much. I got, no I'm, I'm rolling back. Okay. Prog 682, lock and load. <laughs> it's Mega City One's finest hour in this cover by Gary Go- uh, Caldwell. It's his first cover, um, a close-up of Dredd's chest, but I don't think he gets his, mm. the, the lawgiver just right here, I got to say. Yeah, it's very sleek. Doesn't have, yeah. uh, doesn't have a little arrow pointing to things on it. Yeah, I mean, that might be on the other side of the gun, but I feel oh, like it should be true. on both sides. I don't know. Yeah. Um, he won't do a ton of art in the prog, but is a long-term colorist colorist for several fi- uh, thrills. 
It's definitely got leather down patent. I'll say that much. Oh, I like that. That's a good one. <laughs> down patent. That's Thank excellent. Thank you. Another short nerve center this week is Tharg teases several upcoming stories, including Horn God 3 and Prog 688. One letter seems to be a commentary on a long letter that was printed in Prog 675. And I'm just not interested in this particular snake eating its own tail, Fox, right? <sighs> um, the bottom half of the nerve center plugs some upcoming stories for 688. Though it talks, or for 683, I should say, though it uses a uh, Dylan Rogue Trooper for Friday in the Rogue Trooper story. Finally, Prog 683, Shock Tactics. Boo! I mean, ow! I mean, ow. Steve Dillon draws Slice being electrocuted as Silver and Deacon go to help him. Fine, leave him there. I don't care. Yeah. Um, in the <laughs> Nerve Center, Tharg teases the new slain, sows the seed of interest for the upcoming Prog 700. Ooh. Hell yeah. Pictures include a wide-badged Judge Schwarzenegger. Oh, that's so good. The person who did this art, 10 out of 10. Just big, ultra-wide Arnold, Judge Arnold, and then a, even, like, just as big badge to just, like, Fit his big name. <laughs> and a very Hinklinton style, uh, uh, Tomas de Thargamata. Oh, yeah. Letters ask about the status of the Judge Dredd movie, as well as some updates of uh, Ace Garp, because I guess this guy didn't, um, the person who's writing only had a certain number of issues, so didn't know what happened afterwards. Oh, um, no. There's also que- there's also a question of if the upcoming Jean-Claude Van Damme and Dolph Lundgren film Universal Soldier is related to 2000 AD. Mm, it is not. No. <laughs> the prog adds the full-page ad for a revolver with pictures of Dan Dare, Jimi Hendrix, and Rogan Gosh, I believe, from the early days of, uh, of Revolver. I don't know. Into Lotuses, I guess. Something. And then a bunch of our World Cup collectible coins from Esso Gas Station. Boy, that petrol, father. Yeah, you have to go there. Then I like how they specifically call out, you know, like it's your father that's uh, buying the petrol. Six pounds worth gets you a free token. Little mystery Listen, box. Your mom is not going to get you these World Cup tokens, all right? She's you- already paying for enough. Damn. And you don't have a car either. So listen, just let's just be real. Yeah. With that down note, Fox, let's continue on <laughs> to Thrill 5 Indigo Prime. With In the Windwood and Cord Downtime, Part 1. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. Scripted by John Smith, art robot Chris West in front of the show, learning about Eddie Parkhouse and Steve Potter. Oh, man. <laughs> So last last episode we got an overview of Indigo Prime. So let's get some. So let's get practical from there. Fox We're in and he double hockey sticks, baby. Yeah. Follow Winwood and Cord um, in this story called Downtime. A cyan alert goes off, and we learn Ooh. about a bit about interstellar travel in one of these realities. And there's a 917 on Parallel 12. Winwood and Cord are assigned to deal with it as temporal negotiators. Anyway, it seems in this world, the, fa- the Fast and Light Drive causes a kickback effect, which in turn causes a Swarschild anchors, which uh, cause you un- oh unstable, unstable scape time and punctures in reality. Winwood and Cord get their kit together. So they learn that a big event has been caused and they got to deal with it. The pair, Winward, uh, Winward, a man in a double-breasted suit and bow tie with standy-uppy hair. Cord, Very fancy. Dude in a shirtless vest and a big top hat. <laughs> 
they arrive at the wreckage. It doesn't look great. A chronoclism is coming. Um, I gotta say, this is super opaque still, but to me, there's something about it that makes this slight, like, like kind of de- de- delightfully opaque instead of infuriatingly opaque, as we've seen well, before, I guess. It's definitely having a lot more fun uh, with itself. I think, I mean, like, but yeah. the, the, it, 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 this feels a lot more SCP Foundation to me. Like, they, you can throw in those words, I guess, but quite literally, the, the, you know, guys are sent to go do a thing is much more clear than, I, man, I don't know, he's getting inside of his muck body. Yeah, no, th- I mean, this feels like a lot of just sort of, like, like competent professionals throwing around a lot of sci-fi jargon and then things yeah. happen. And I, I'm mostly okay with that, you know. I'm, I'm down with it, and I've got a basic idea of how the, of, of maybe what they're doing. Yeah, exactly. Um, Plus, you get some, some really weird visuals to come along with. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like they're just talking calmly, but then they have to raise their voices because a bunch of woolly mammoths just stampede out of nowhere and stuff. So weird. Uh, Windward pulls a sewing kit from his coat full of tools and begins stitching literal holes in reality back up. As Cord pulls some dust from his pocket and blows on it to solve some of the remaining problems, he forms sort of a statue of oh, a weird, God, with a thing. weird, yeah, abstract face and stubby body. Winward says it looks like a Henry Moore sculpture, and it does yeah. a little bit to me, except for the face, I guess. Don't know it. Don't worry about it. So they got to snag a sci- the scientist that built this big star drive thing that caused all this trouble, and luckily they found him in the late Jurassic. With a smile and a wink, the pair goes go sidewind into time, and soon they're traveling these time lanes. These, there's some kind of back and forth banter, like, man, I don't know if I want to keep doing this because the Imagineers probably don't have to do all this going around fixing shit crap. This is neat. He's like, oh, come on, doing time stuff's fun. Like, whatever. No. <laughs> it's really like a lot of their conversation. <laughs> yeah, they sort of banter back and forth. They travel the time stream, eventually finding the hyperdrive, hyperdrive and the scientist that built it. He's been killed and partially eaten by dinos. Well, but, I mean, as they do in the Jurassic. Yeah, luckily at this, uh, for a 917, they have carte blanche for resurrection restoration. <laughs> I lo- As soon as they brought that up, I was like, all right, so... They can do what they need. They do what they need to to uh, repair the timeline, I guess. And to that end, they turn this guy into a bunch of puzzle pieces and just dump those puzzle pieces into a bag. We'll fix him later. (laughs) Seems seems like nothing could possibly go wrong. Mm. They head to the overspace to find the drive unit itself, and it's a deeply weird space. It's one of these things where it's like, um, to me, it seems like. You could imagine time as being a bunch of time zones around the globe, I guess. But mm. if you're on top of Earth, it means that you can see all the time zones at once, basically. Yeah. So that's what it seems like when instead they're looking through every single like period mm-hmm. of time in this in this world. And they're just sort of looking for random problems. There's there's a cleaning up time and space montage. A uh, cord goes into deep time <laughs> as Winwood settles the Trojan horse, some kind of tornado, and Marilyn Monroe. Finally, they find the drive and have to get rid of it. Luckily, Winwood knows a spot in the Bermuda Triangle. Man, all right. (laughs) The scientist has dropped back to the wreckage of his drive. He'll have to build a new one, but now he's got the notes to help him figure it out. And so all's well. It ends well. The the lads zip time back up, not noticing that the scientist is missing a puzzle piece in his brain. One of the things that I I liked about this, uh, just as we were getting there, 
mm-hmm. is that the the weird statue he he made kind of following him along. Then it it does some woo umphing. It, it morphs into a like almost like a like a cephalopod kind of, and it's like yeah, attached it kind of to the thing. Tentacle and, things, yeah. Yeah, and that's like how they crash it into the fucking Bermuda Triangle, and then they warp out, and it's still looking goofy. So it's pretty, it's some wild, wild body shit that's going on with that little item. Absolutely. Listen, I mean, you know, I feel like Indigo Prime is going to be ground zero for 2080 body horror for a while, I think. <laughs> like, that's where we're going to see it, you know? Crazy. All right. Yeah. So, new story, this time for Figretto and Brecht Scene Shifters. And the story is called How the Land Lied. Man, this is this is a whole fucked up thing. Yeah. Some dudes, uh, like sort of corporate suits guys, arrive at a town full of aliens. They're looking like greys, but, you know, maybe a little, you know, more human-y greys, basically. Yeah. They've got a very um, familiar look, sort of England 1970s. One of them is reading a copy of Lion with Archie on the cover and stuff. Yeah. The natives have had some kind of a um, religious awakening and have adopted the 1970s as their new religion. Uh, hooray. This whole area was supposed to be turned into a theme park, but this whole thing has been caused by a rock formation that seemed to have spontaneously formed into the shape of Starsky and Hutch. All right. That's uh, that's a thing that can happen, I guess. <laughs> Pretty funny moment um, when we were prepping for this show where I just sent Fox an image of where I just said, before you ask, it's Starsky and Hutch. <laughs> <laughs> And like, sent as as close a version of this uh, statue as I could from production photos that oh, they found online of Starsky and Hutch. Did not know what I was getting myself into. Also, didn't realize that uh, just wouldn't matter. No, hundred percent doesn't. I just wanted to, to head <laughs> off inquiry. Of course. So we cut to some kind of weird alien temple full of spidery stuff where a priest makes a blood seal with a dark god to destroy his own world. Good times, I guess. And they call her the Queen of Desire. <laughs> Write his name in blood. Um, also, meanwhile, at a fancy mansion, a dude, Mr. Gobi, sits poolside as one of the suits from earlier explains about the alien's cultural revolution. Gobi calls for his bikini-clad assistant as oh, the suit it's says. so weird. Yep. Their whole exchange is real not good. It's just him shouting for his whatever, his sister, whatever. And um, then she's like, that's it. That's a good boy. Eat it up. Like, what the fuck? It's just weird. weird. stuff. Yeah. The suit explains the situation's been handled because they've called in our bud- our new buddies, Fregretto and Brecht. Oh, man. I am I am loving their look. <laughs> For uh, for Gatto, who I'm having, whose name I'm having trouble pronouncing, uh, wears kind of a space pirate outfit with a cravat, and he's got big black hair with the bright of Frankenstein streak in it, and basically. he's got juice boxes on his belt, ready gotta, to juice. Gotta have these boxes. While Brecht is basically just kind of looks like uh, Poirot, essentially, like mm. you know, kind of larger dude, bowler hat, mustache, etc. Curly mustache. <laughs> Um, and they're here to help by manipulating reality. Hey, why not? All, all we need to know is, do you want them evicted or eviscerated? Oh, God. Just, uh, you know, real, no real in-between with these cats, huh? And you can see that we're really trying to burn this, like that that there was some kind of misscheduling with these stories because this one's finished later this probably uh, yeah. <laughs> in 1682. 
which is deeply disturbing for my read throughs just because it's been a, like whenever there's a second throw, it's like, wait, what? Wait, yeah, no, you have to do a double check and just be like, wait, did I miss something here? What day is this? What happened to Dread? What is this? Uh, <laughs> they scene shifted us. Ah, the, lad, the lads head off through space and uh, landing near the star skeins, hutch heads um, by an alien singing the police, walking on the moon and so forth. Uh, Fregretto has a brief attack of conscience, but Breck doesn't seem to be all that troubled. They weave no. powerful energies. The warp and weft of reality is knitted and the villagers are all wiped away like chalk drawings. Oh my God. The whole, I mean, if, if anyone's reading along, getting through the whole like page where they just start talking about the entire death of a fucking group of people. It's real shit. Lot, yeah, a lot of rough uh, murder, a lot of words. The few survivors, realizing the folly of these new gods, try to turn back, running to the old caves and the old god. The humans start to bring in their earth movers to begin theme park constructions. As these natives are welcomed by the priest, Colthier, two eyes at the end, and he begins his fell work. Gobi's happy with how things have gone. He's going to build the best dang third world theme park around. Because what wow. I think, what I think's happening is that he wanted to build a theme park that would be based around looking at these backwards aliens and their, you know, weird uh, yeah. culture and stuff like that. He's a huge but dick. Because they picked up Earth culture, like people don't want to see that. It doesn't seem authentic, you know. Was what I think is what's going on here. Um, Colthier calls down the goddess. RN, um, RNA and RNA answers. Breck says Gobi won't be a repeat customer, sadly, as Gobi pukes <laughs> up a huge tarantula <laughs> and then just a fountain of spiders pour forth from his mouth. Oh my god, it is, it is a, a beautiful vomit of bugs. The spider, a, a giant horde of spiders <laughs> led by a giant spider goddess attack the humans and the space and the sh scene shifters take their leave. The, oh, my God. They really are is, just the best. Definitely. Yeah, the world's saved from a cultural invasion. But can you live not knowing what happened at the end of this week's Starsky and Hutch? No, yeah, I'll live. Probably. Indigo Prime will return in March of 1991. Oh, my God. What a fucking... What a roller coaster ride. All these scene shifters like love to take your money to make some minor change, but it's all freaking monkey paws style because then <laughs> some bigger thing that's looming in the background comes and you don't even know about it. You know? I mean, it just means don't don't hire a scene shifter or make sure that the scene you're shifting is way, way big. Definitely seems like if you you want to get like your have your legal team sort of like cover your bases a little bit once you start scene shifting. I guess. I mean, anytime you bring up a monkey's paw, right? Like, can you can you tell us and try to uh, try to avoid some unintended consequences here, if you don't mind? Uh, <laughs> Listen. Uh, so, if we do end world hunger, is it because you're going to remove everyone's mouths? Whoa, creepy. <laughs> Gotta, and dude, gotta catch all of it, man. Definitely. And hey, while we're on the topic of weird twist endings, Fox. <gasps> Thrill Six Shadows. Oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, man. Dreams <laughs> can come true. This is so good. I love yeah. me some shadows. And I like this, too. Scripture by Peter Villigan, Art Robot, Richard Elson, and Tim Perkins, Letting Robot, Steve Potter. 
former information broker and uh, turned untouchable, turned information terrorist, Nina Coltrane, has <laughs> hacking the zone, the internet, in this cyberpunk story. And man, but, oh man, let's do a let's do a quick matrix. Yeah, well, like I said last time, yeah, she's just reached the end of uh, the Matrix part of the Matrix Reloaded here, <laughs> as she's confronted by a very rich-looking dude in a fancy white suit named Cracker with two Ks. Oh, really, <laughs> great name. He confidently tells her that only the company can win, and that's the amalgamation of businesses, intelligence agencies, and money. They don't exist; have been banned by the United Nations, but they actually run or want to run everything. And the secret project falls the shadow as part of that. Basically, they're going to brainwash unborn children in artificial womb centers to be controlled by the company, as you do. Oh, my God. It's so Alex Jones. It's like, I'm sure, I mean, listen, I'm sure there would be a ton of conspiracy theories about artificial wounds if they, wombs if they existed, for sure. Oh, yeah. Like, I mean, not just like like in vitro stuff, but I, like, you know, literally like, here's just a tube that we keep kids in, I guess. <laughs> I think, the baby uh, tubes where we program the innocent. Because I think your quote unquote test tube baby still gets impl- implanted into a surrogate or something like yep. that, as I recall. Um, anyway, all this is happening. Some texts alongside the real cracker, Trace Nina. Cracker explains the concept of capital, like uh, Karl Marx style, as our crew is found and gunship robots are sent after them. He keeps droning on mm. when Hood breaks through him and says, that was a ghost sent to Come trick on, you. Man. Come on, man. Get in the moment. But uh, he's apparently done what he has to do. The pair hops into their zone car and talks plans. They've got to go to maybe the UN or something to get Falls of the Shadow Stop. Good luck. Uh, meanwhile... <laughs> In reality, goons and killbots are taking out Hood and Nina's defenders. And <laughs> Flamethrower link- goons. Definitely. That's the worst kind. Their links to the real world are destroyed before they can return. This is bad news. Oh, man. Guess they're stuck in the maestrisks. As this happens, things get real cool as reality twists and the pair of zone shadows gets launched deep into this disconnected unreality whoa they're getting even more downloaded into the net zone yep they fall screaming through the void their bodies twisting and turning and stuff they finally land somewhere but hood says it doesn't matter man this is a (laughs) one-way trip as we see nina's real body being burned by the suits real gross Information now. The company is one, as usual. Bum, bum, bum. But Nina pushes through her fear and instead reaches a place of terrifying certainty. They've lost everything, but that means they have nothing left to lose. And as part of the power of the computer system, they can hurt the company and falls the shadows in ways they couldn't before. But Hood just says, no way. They aren't doing that. There's no gain from it. <laughs> And he starts to explain why he left the company and became a shadow and stopped caring about anything. Oh, man. Meanwhile, in reality, a tech and cracker stand over Hood's and, body, Hoods and Nina's corpses. And the tech, Hopkins, explains the name of the project. Sort of a, like different from my butchering of the poem last week. He does, the, does an actual quote from T.S. Eliot's The Hollow Man. Uh, Between the conception and the creation, between the emotion and the response, falls the shadow. Mm. And I had forgotten that Hollow Man is also the one that ends with, uh, this is the way the world ends, not with a bang, but a whimper. 
that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, Cracker says, oh, that's a very nice poem. Is it Japanese? Because <laughs> he's that, real dumb. That feels real 1990 corporate stuff to me, Fox. That yep. is pretty funny, actually. Um, in a world of orange and blue, Hood tells Nina his secret. He learned that life, that no life on our world is, is real. It's just a bio system to control s- computer data for the great computer that is our Earth traveling through space to one day be reimplanted and made flesh again, I guess. We're all just simulations uh. of the machine, so nothing matters. Until he met Nina, that is. I mean, look, the guy, we can smoke as much fucking ganja, take as much acid as he want. Doesn't make that way warped out thing for the reels, my dude. I mean, listen. <laughs> We've been to college. Like, I mean, I'm just saying that if it's all just a simulation, but there's no way out of it or anything, like, uh, that doesn't change my day to day in any no. real way, I guess. No, it doesn't. I'm still going like, to eat a hot dog once in a while. Yeah, like like the point of my existence isn't that I'm completely real and self-act, like quote-unquote real and self-actualized, you know? Like, I, I happily admit the fact that I'm just one one in a long series of, like, mistakes and evolutions and stuff, you know? <laughs> that doesn't, it doesn't destroy my sense of self the way that it has for Hood. Uh, yeah, be no. It, <laughs> be he it takes the com- this shit real serious. Yeah, be it the complexities of, of, of natural selection or that there's some sort of weird sci-fi thing going on. Whatever. Yeah. He, anyway. he really uses a lot of words to kind of deal with his own bullshit. Yeah. Anyway, Hood manages to convince Nina that nothing really matters. Wow. Anyone can see. So let's go deeper into the, into the zone and see what happens there, I guess. Yeah, hey, why not? Sure. Nina, they embrace and kiss and Nina gets real weird and kind of goes full kind of Ulysses here, actually, of just <laughs> let's pretend we're real and forget the rest of the world and just be real and pretend that and forget everything else. And yes, and yes, I will. And yes, we will be real and et cetera. Whatever. Um, Back in the lab in the real world, world, Cracker and Hopkins discuss that all of this that they've just been talking about was actually a program that they managed to implant <laughs> in their brains post-mortem because as, like, zone ghosts, they really could fuck their shit up. So, like, this is probably for the best. I mean, um, man, oh, man, this is how, the, this is how it is. <laughs> I especially like how Hopkins says that uh, Hood actually didn't find anything unknowable. He was just getting old and kind of shitty at his job. And wow. so they were going to fire him. And that made him go insane instead. Um, uh, so you got to <laughs> gotta implant some weird memory garbage in there to make sure that they don't fuck shit up. But hey, maybe they'll be happy there in the, uh, traveling deep into the zone together at last. The you auto know? zone. <laughs> Fucking pet boys messing him up. Um <laughs> Anyway, you know, whatever. It's a better, happier ending than a lot of people have gotten. The end of Shadows! Man, loved it. <sighs> loved how it ended. That was real bleak. Uh, I I didn't see the uh, twist end of corporate bullshit wins the, the day, which is very satisfying. I really like that this feels like the bad ending of a video game, and there's no yeah. like, other option to do it. Like, this is what happens if you get to the end, but you haven't been, like, leveling up Nina's persuasion skills or something like that, you know? <laughs> like, you nah, neglect... Man. 
you neglected to uh, to level up Nina, so she wasn't. You know, you spent all your experience points on Hood and his hacking abilities. Yeah, so it turns out Nina, that he's real good at intimidate. Yeah, but so Nina wasn't there to talk him out of not caring about nothing. You know, <laughs> uh, it, it's good times. <laughs> it's real good. I, I yeah. it was very it was very fresh, different kind of like romp through the the usual insanity that is these this kind this ilk of of two thousand AD comic. Yeah, I mean, a, a cyberpunk story definitely feels very different from what we've been seeing in a lot of other mm-hmm. 2080 stories. Yeah. But so Peter Milligan will be back at Prague 700 for Hooligan's haircut. Okay. And uh, Richard Ellison won't be back for a couple more years just for various things. We'll see him when he comes back. Keep him in mind. And speaking of keeping things in mind, Fox. Ooh. Thrill 7, Strontium Dog. <laughs> yes. 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 And Red's coming back. Get in it. Script about Alan Grant, art about Colin McNeil, learning about Tom Frame. I'm loving the little like <laughs> pictures and stuff that that uh, uh, Midden Face is drawing in this, including in the top right of of the first kind of page. It's just him in a tree with an arrow towards it, pointing at him, saying "me." Yeah, yeah. Well, he he like this story starts. It's the final solution replay, and I should mention that a uh, chopper artist Colin McNeil has taken over on art and will be with us to the end of the final solution it's gorgeous. here. Um, and yeah, Mutant Bounty Hunter or Strontium Dog, Minface McNulty, writes a letter to fellow Search and Destroy Agent Durham Red, um, just updating the events of the storyline. And yeah, he's sitting in a tree as he does it. And that's like the actual address of the letter, like <laughs> up a tree in the Midlands or whatever. Um, mm. But so uh, basically, yeah, I mean, I think having this update's good because we haven't had it's because the story's been running since Prague 600, but we haven't seen an update for it since, uh, sl- oh, since yeah, the 640s. Sure. Um, but basically, a neo-Nazi immune group called the New Church, led by Lord Sagan, has taken control of England and is using fell magics to send mutants en masse through a weird magic gate to Stonehenge, where they're eaten by monsters. <laughs> <laughs> Just a normal Strontium Dog story, you know? Yeah, also, Lord Sagan is star of the comic Johnny Alpha's half-brother, and we get a flash here of uh, Durham Red, also Strontium Dog, sexually taking out some drug dealers. As you do, man. Gotta get that blood. Yeah. Meanwhile, um, in England, Ben and still, as I said, hiding up a tree, waiting for a ride to take or to take back to go back to the doghouse, the uh, the space station the Strontium Dogs are based out of. Mm. Um, Red Burson of the drug den takes out some dudes as Middenface mentions cool new main character, Feral. So cool. Oh, man. He's so great. Can't wait to get more Feral. Red drinks blood from one of the drug goons. She's a vampire, just so you know. Edmund Face kills a churcher patrol and gives the letter to a mailman. He sort of signs off saying it's good times because Donald wears your trousers is back in the charts. It's all coming up, Midden Face. Uh, he seems to be having a good time. Shooting stuff, stealing cars, sending letters. Normal Midden Face junk. That mutant you like is coming back into style. Um, anyway... <laughs> At Salisbury Cathedral, Lord Sagan gets word that Middenface contact the doghouse about what's going on at Stonehenge, but doesn't seem too worried about it. He's got plans for the doghouse. Just has to contact the boss there, George, as he pours tea for his mother. I love their tea cozy. Yeah, yeah. Solid tea cozy action here. Um Sagan tells George to set the time bomb that's been that, that's there in the doghouse and then escape with <laughs> the rest God. of the humans. They only kill mutants, after all. 
when suddenly a bunch of mutants burst into the office. <laughs> They're running the place now. See? We're going to fill you full of lead. Yeah, George pulls a gun, but the surround tape dogs make quick work of them. There's no turning back. They got to stop the new church from banishing all these mutants, man. Come on. That's not cool. Can, we're going to start right now. And hope, I mean, I hope we didn't set that self-destruct sequence. Nah, that's fine. Me, uh, I guess we'll see that, actually. Uh, meanwhile, in that, in said hell world, a broken and eyeless Johnny Alpha starts oh, awake. God. He's Forgot not that that had happened until we saw that. And then I was like, oh, oh, God, oh, God. No eyes. He's not doing great, for the record. But he did, last time before his eyes got burned out, he managed to mind meld with this um, evil monster that's eaten everybody, for the record. Um, and he found, he sort of realized that it was a composite collective um, entity made up of the dark souls of Lyran sorcerers. He's not, not a good look, but hey. Magic got us here. Magic can get us back, right? That's right. Johnny reaches out and Farrell takes his hand, says, trust me, I'll get you out of here. All right. Next time on Strontium Dog, Ghetto Blaster. Oh, man, my favorite kind of fucking boombox, baby. Top boombox action. Very excited for the final solution oh, here. I'm so, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad it's coming, man. I think we'll actually finish it next episode. Oh no! Um, no! No! But very, I, I'm I'm excited to see what you're going to say about it, and um, it's just a cool like I'm I'm glad, uh, and I really like Colin McNeil's artwork. Excited oh, yeah. to see it finish up here in full color and stuff like that. This Man, exciting it's, uh, it's freaking story, gorgeous, definitely. Hey, on the other end of things, on my uh, things I like, things I don't like, uh, Spectrum uh, Fox. Oh, Let's do the gruesome twosome. A uh, gruesome twosome, starting with Thrill Eight, Bradley. Mm. Script robot Alan McKicken. Um, art robot Simon Police Harassment. Letting robot Gordon Rob Sonic. All right. Bradley, Milton, and Annabella are time traveling to find some cool music for Bradley's group for Brad's get gramps. <laughs> They're trying to talk to Sixpress, but it's going to be at a warehouse raves. They're on the phone trying to get the address and they roll out pursued by the cops. Um, eventually, they've closed. The cops have closed off the highway, and after a brief interlude, writing to Margaret Thatcher about how he's maybe going to buy a pit bull because neighborhood is rough. I don't know. Um, and then sort of making a mad cow reference. Bradley just goes flying past the cops and lands right at the rave. Nice. The uh. Bass is heavy and the boys dance as the background and the background of the art is just a thumpa, thumpa, thumpa in mm -hmm. red letters and stuff. Uh, there seem to be jokes about various members of the band Sexpress, especially about Mark Moore. And I guess they partied so hard they forgot to do the interview. Fuck this. Uh. Um, <laughs> luckily, Fox, uh. this is the last Bradley until September 1992, oh. which will be a return to more traditional stuff. I goddamn hope. Man, I mean, reprieve is just the welcome release here. Woo! Um, Thrill 9, Harlem Heroes. Uh, does it have to be, though? God, it's like 400 pages of Harlem Heroes. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you only had one. Scripture about Michael L. Fleischer, art robot Steve Dillon and Kev Walker, learning about Bambo Georgiou. The rebooted Harlem Heroes are bummed because their buddy Slice was kidnapped last episode. Whoops. Apparently he's being held in a place called the Interrogation Lab, I guess. <laughs> 
Uh, Silver I makes might fun as well of... just call it what it is, right, yeah. guys? Silver makes fun of Patrice for saying heck, and the team moves out. Mm. Meanwhile, Slice is being electro-tortured and being asked who's back in the heroes, and he goes all gallows humor, and so the voltage is increased. Okay. In a hallway, in the hallways, a guard finds Deacon and Patrice, but Silver sneaks up behind him and stabs him in the back. I mean, really just gets in there, and that doesn't kill somebody, man. Mm, I guess if you stab him enough. Patrice snags this guy's ID, fingerprints, and retina scans, and then slices past out from torture. So the guards oh. um, find the heroes outside the door to the torture room, so Deacon starts shooting. Uh... Patrice manages to spoof most of the security after the fight, but then they, when they ask for a chromosomal scan, which he doesn't got, so Deacon just blows the door open. I, why did they not just do that in the first place? Because Patrice wants to be, like, smooth and not cause a fuss, you know. You'll get your EXP elsewhere, my dude. Sorry, buddy. You know, he's got to address these problems with uh, computer hacking. Um, outside, some guards try to interrogate the hero's uh, police helicopter, but Trips just shoots <laughs> him in the face God. and takes out the rest of, and uh, takes them out as the rest of the heroes arrive under heavy fire. They take off as we cut to the United Chemical Buildings, where the president of the United States is giving a speech. When the heroes burst in and shoot him, but it's a fake president, and uh. the whole thing's a ruse by the office jerks because they're gonna put together some fake heroes to assassinate the president. That'll let. The office run the country. What the fuck? Next time, drop shot. What is going on in this comic book? Don't know. What is going on in this comic well, book? Let's they move freed, to the next one. They freed their buddies, but now it looks like their bosses are actually going to use their status as cool uh, street gang murderers to street gang murder the president, the president I guess. <sighs> yeah, you could do that. Yeah, you can. It makes, makes perfect sense in context of all the things. Hey, speaking of overzealous policing, Fox, let's go to <laughs> Thrill 10 Medivac 318. Oh man, yeah, it's got like it's got like protests that aren't that are unlawfully assembled. Racist protests that are unlawfully assembled. <laughs> Ooh, listen, on the pulse. 30 years ago. Jesus. Um, script about Hillary Robinson, art about Nigel Dobb, and letter about Tom Frame. New thrill! This story hey. is called Arcturus. The previous war has ended, and now the paramedic teams of Medivac 318 are ready for some R&R. But suddenly, the boss, alien John Rybat, appears on the screen, because 318 is headed to the planet Arcturus. All leaves are canceled. And uh, as we all know, Arcturus is the home of the furries, so... Yeah, that Lion Dude fun. Planet. Um, yeah, yeah, that Lion Dude is an Arcturan that we met last time in, in mm -hmm. Medivac 318. The war is over here, but not over there. On the planet Arcturus, um, a member of the, which is a member of the Galactic Federation, but one where humans are not welcome. <laughs> Very clearly. Yeah, we see a protest taking place. It's the Anti-Terran League with a message of, I guess you'd imagine, death to Terrans. <laughs> And um, uh, also, you know, we like the generate or yeah, generate, generate. I don't know, but the 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 uh, um, opposition aliens last um, in the previous story. Yep, the leader of the anti-Terran League, Marles Dender, speaks passionately <laughs> about how much humans suck and demands the government <laughs> stop being neutral and take a stand for the generate. Which and also, by the way, just sub just with a little sub bullet there, uh, kill all the Terrans. 
Listen, again, like, you know, A, support the generate, B, kill all humans, all right? <laughs> very, uh, very Stellaris attitude we got going on. I mean, it's a complicated political platform. <laughs> but one bugs, way or another... Bugs, sorry, yes, apes, no. <laughs> totally. But the Lion Dude cops are watching all this and not very pleased. They broadcast an order to uh, disperse, but the ATL doesn't. This is a legitimate protest. Ba bargle bargle. Ba 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 Send in the gas. Cops shoot tear gas. Everyone goes to run. Oh man! Again, like we're recording this Oof. in uh, in in July 2020, which is sort of now maybe in the wake of the big police of the big anti police protests. And, like, just nights of cities filled with tear gas and chaos and stuff. But still, pretty raw. Pretty raw from yeah. this uh, 30 years ago comic, is what I'm trying was, to say. Was not repaired. Was like, yeah, all right. All right. <laughs> Gonna deal with this year also. I mean, I will say that it does speak to a universe. As always, I like when, mm. these, when these old comics do seem relevant to the modern day. Yeah, I think that, that's a great aspect. But again, like just a lot going on. Next time on Medivac 318, crowd control. Oh, oh no. Yeah, listen, it's tough, man, but you got to fight for what you believe in sometimes. Hell yeah. Even and sometimes that means going to a sick ass space station and meeting your space dad. Thrill 11, Rogue Trooper. I guess it's kind of like Space Nanny, right? Space yeah. Dad is whatever. Yeah, well, we get that also. Name of Space Dad. Yeah, there's a lot of space stuff going on here. Uh, script about <laughs> Dave Gibbons, art about Will Simpson, letter about Bambo Georgiou. So, um, you know, again, they're really, I think they've really decided that this uh, Rogue Trooper War Machine story is going to be a graphic novel. And that's why they've got these uh, uh, pre-credit mm. pages, basically, just so that there aren't credits and opening things in the actual story. Because that's going right. to be the graphic novel. Um but basically, you know, recap Friday. He's a genetic infantryman. He's after the military bosses that sent him and his bros to a slaughter. This time he's got gear, but that doesn't have a personality. And he's currently infiltrating a space base on a moon around the planet that he's been fighting on. Real rad. Friday sneaks around. He's got a lot of internal narration here. Just how... um. No one really expected an attack here, and so it's really easy to be sneaky and all the doors open really easily, defenses are light. He drifts through corridors, eventually finding a map and the location of his old dorms here where the mm. GIs were born. There's a, And then finally there's a door to Command Central, but it never opens and people walk past it a lot, so instead he slips through it. Through the air ducts, just die hard in his way through here. Smart guy. Again, I feel like lockout sort of my go-to space-based yeah. die harding, but things of that nature. Um, he slides into an airlock when a robot shows up. It reads Friday's palm and seems to know him. Opening the door now, Mister Clavil. Ooh, weird. Door opens to a big empty room with a huge computer with a holographic user interface. And the Avatar, high side itself, it seems, offers Friday any information he wants. Oh, he looks real weird. Mm-hmm. It's very much just kind of like a uh, a human form made of, uh, like, constellations and star stuff, basically. Mm -hmm. um, Friday asks about the genetic infantry. It lists a lot of technical specs that they were tested to destruction on Planet 4 Sigma 3. Super successful. 
Yeah. It's a planet owned by the Clavel Corporation. And mm. Hill 392, where the GI died, is listing as having no strategic importance. Friday works on some kind of console or something, but has a lot of questions still for high side. Oh, man. So awesome. Next time, Clavel. Still really enjoying this new Rogue Trooper. Yeah. Ooh, I hope it's that guy from the Witcher show. That'd be exciting. Ooh, yeah. Mm, shit. Mm, I don't want to be in Superman anymore. I love gruff swearing, Fox. It's my favorite thing. It's the gruffest type of swears that I that I enjoy maximally. I should say it's my second favorite thing because you know what my first favorite thing is, Fox? No, I don't. Please tell me. Hearing what your top and bottom thrills oh. are. So what do you got for me? Prog Cut. 680 to 8683. Oh, That's so fucking personal, man. Why would you, you know, in front of all these people? Of course it's Judge Dredd. Judge Dredd's my tippity top, baby. Nice. Really? I mean, of course I enjoyed how Shadows ended, the, the bleakness and etc. Um, But man, oh man, this whole fucking thing has been getting me rock solid excited. When I see a bunch of... <laughs> fucking like mobilized tanks and and infantry getting ready to fight a thing and then they just all fucking kill themselves and it's all in beautiful color my god man it's just so beautiful like carlos escara is just like chewing through all of this and my god like i just can't wait to see what happens um like just at like i this is the thing that i get excited for every week in a big way it's also part of why i really i've been trying to decide whether or not i'm going to read it first each time we start kind of sitting down to read because mm. fuck once it's over you know it's a little rough yeah. no i mean like i said i think like there is i know i reach a point i reached a point at some point where and and this happened with, with the Apocalypse War 2, where I can get so jazzed about what's going to happen in Judge Dredd that the rest of the prog can kind of fall away for me, especially when, I, mm. when, when, you know, we're sort of binging the progs here and I'm just sort of going one from another as opposed to sort of weekly where I've got to, you know, where I'd re I might read other thrills just because they're there and I have nothing else to read right. or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Switch your I, bottom. That's what I want to know. Oh, Jesus. So uh, I did want to just give special mention to like... Oh, yeah, 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 sorry. If you have more to say, please go ahead. Oh, yeah, no. Just uh, Indigo Prime actually starting to grow on me a little bit, nice. which is nice because I can actually follow things. I like that you, th that there are these different jobs. Certainly, I, I, like, I liked a lot more because uh, I'm trying to remember their names... I liked uh, Fegretto and Brecht a little more for that story, mm. um, just because of like the actual writing and it was like fucking top notch. But of course, the art in, in both are, are really rad. Uh, as far as my bottom, dude. Uh, uh, ooh, oh man, I I mean, Universal Soldier was still bad, but not the worst because he ate a dude. That was pretty mm. cool. So I think that bumps it up. And saves it enough. And so I'm going to say it is... Oh, I'm going to feel horrible. So I'm a Tarlem Heroes. Like, I, I'm not enjoying it. <laughs> I, I'm not... Yes! I, none of it matters. Like, and now the president also. It's like... it's It literally cannot decide what its fucking story is. Remember when they were prisoners? Remember that mm. one time they played Aeroball? Like, uh I'm going to say there is some arrow ball action next episode, for the record. I mean, I don't know if that's going to save it as much. I don't think it is. All <laughs> right, Conrad. So, 
please tell me. And the people must know. I mean, I feel like you, you know, you owe it to that man to yourself to explain to me your top and bottom thrills. Oh, man. I got I got ups and downs. Like, I really liked uh, the end of Armored Gideon here. I thought mm-hmm. Chronos Car- Car- Carnival was kind of interesting. I liked Indigo Prime as well. Um, I think it's sort of a cool way to actually sort of start this story, be interested in it. And the uh, and I love just that weird like downer end of shadows like oh, that's yeah. really really cool and I think one of the more interesting ends we've seen for a thrill in 2000 AD you know strong agree on that one yeah all that says got to be Judge Dredd come on <laughs> get out of here the way they're building up this story is great and just the hopelessness of fighting against these starks these uh these are uh, sisters of death and stuff it's so good so great the art's so amazing um Ascara just using all the using the color to really create these um these tense moods and the uh reality bendingness of people fighting against the the the, the sisters of death and stuff it's all great and i love the uh, again this uh continued um like character of Kraken and his brain being twisted around is really cool. I enjoy uh, Anderson getting a chance to be really righteous about things. I think all yeah. of this, like all these characters are really great. And just these sort of, uh, you know, dread getting the last laugh of these sort of just department higher ups getting burned by their choices. Should have listened. <laughs> Should have listened. Always listen to JD. Yeah. For my bottom. Mm. <laughs> I mean, um, <laughs> Universal I mean, Soldier did uni- eat a guy. Universal Soldier is extre- Universal Soldier is extremely tempting. It is. Um, Harold he did Heroes, eat a guy. I mentioned my agenda with that, but I think for me, it's gotta be Bradley. That's oh, thank God! Gotta be Bradley. It's bad. <laughs> Don't want to read it. Like I just got there and I was like, uh, <laughs> like. <laughs> Do I want to parse this enough to write a recap of it? I guess. Yeah. Just again, this has not been a series I've enjoyed very much. Um, I it is. I'm the you know arts is stellar. It's doing something very interesting. But my God, that thing is not the. It's not interesting, man. I just feel like, and this is for Universal Soldier too. Or also, I should say, that um, just me and Alan McKenzie just have very different ideas of what we want to see in, in the prog, you know? Yeah. And yeah. the things that he likes are things that I don't really like. I mean, listen, <laughs> I, I'm okay with house music. Like, I've yeah. listened to this Sex Express stuff. It's solid. Yeah. But I just, not for a comic in 2000 AD, I guess. Yep. And this Universal Soldier stuff really, again, like... Again, my honestly, sometimes my, my problem with Universal Soldier is that they don't do enough of the history things I, I, and stuff like just that. Just ever make it matter, really? That it, and he just, shows up in some fights. It's just dumb. And there's just a lot of like things that I'm sort of piecing together to make sense, but don't really explain themselves very well. And like again, just not great. It's so whatever. But yeah, Bradley on the bottom. Had enough of that. Glad <laughs> it's going to be a little while before it comes back. <laughs> Oh boy! Like, this time, Har- this time Harlem Heroes was lucky. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> but, but you got your eye on it, huh? Now everything else can just chill out. Like you're either top or middle. Now that Harlem Heroes is going to be back with us for a while. Oh, anyway, man. yeah. <laughs> I hope everybody enjoyed the show. As always, you can find Space Spinner 2000 on iTunes, Stitcher, 
Google Play Store, Spotify, or our podcast site, spacepinner2000.com. Feel free to contact us at spacepinner2000 at gmail.com on the 2080 forums or on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages. On Twitter, we're at spacepinner2k. For everything else, look up spacepinner2000, and we should be there. This show is brought to you by Steve Green and the fine folks at 2080 Forums. If you like our show, you can join them and get more content plus access to shows before anyone else by checking out our Patreon page. Patreon is a membership platform that easily allows you to support our show and for us to send you rewards for doing so. Please check us out at patreon.com slash That's our podcast network and support us. There's a variety of rewards for a variety of budgets and we'd really appreciate it. Come back next time as we'll reach the stunning conclusions of Rogue Trooper and Strontium Dog. Medivac prepares to go undercover. Dread meets the Chief. And the Harlem Heroes go on the run. Oh. Yeah. Until the... Yeah, listen. All right. It's It's going to shock you you from your toes to your beard. And until (laughs) then, I'm Conrad. He's Fox. And we are Space Spinner 2000. Splun dig for the I hate Harlem heroes. Who are going?